<clears throat> this is Kevin Evans, uh, and I am teaching the chapter-by-chapter -chapter life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville, and it is Sunday, May the 29th of 2022, and we are in Luke 16. Luke 16 has three parables in it, all three of which are difficult in their interpretation. And I think, personally, in the Gospel of Kevin, that Luke, when he was compiling his Gospel, were trying to make things fit kind of where, you know, somewhere in the chronology, and sometimes some of them don't fit. He had a teaching that somebody told him that Christ taught, but he didn't know when Christ taught that teaching. So he, he organized things kind of thematically, where they sort of fit, so that the story flowed, because he was a good writer. So he, he has these three stories that all have implications to them that are complicated, and they don't really fit anywhere, and we don't know chronologically where this question came up, uh, other than that it was, in, in this last case, it was a response to Pharisees. Uh, and so he, he puts the, the three tough ones together. And so we have spent the last two weeks on the, last, the first two, uh, the parable of the shrewd manager and then uh, the, the parables on divorce, or his teaching on divorce, and now uh, we're going to jump into the last one, which is called uh, The Rich Man and Lazarus. And the issue with the story of The Rich Man and Lazarus <coughs> is that Christ describes an afterlife in this parable that doesn't really fit a lot of the other teachings of Christ about the afterlife. And so people will take this teaching and try to superimpose some kind of architecture over heaven that isn't very well substantiated. In addition to that, we as Westerners have this ingrained picture of heaven and hell that isn't the least bit biblical for the most of it. And, and so we don't know how to interpret what all this stuff means. Uh, I didn't do an exhaustive study, but uh, basically, Scripture says that heaven is being in the presence of God. Uh, God exists outside of getting into the gospel of heaven, our four dimensions. So he's here but higher. And uh, not constrained by time, which is a whole two-hour lecture. And uh, he has angels that he made before he got to us. And he made a bunch of angels who are independent people and evidently have freedom of will because a third of them uh, broke away. And we know this from other scriptures. And they are now in opposed, opposition to God, which would be Lucifer and Lucifer's minions. So dem demons are, are angels. What does a demon look like, Andrew? Well, are you talking about according to modern day culture? No, I mean, when I said demon, what picture appeared you in your head? Yourself, uh, <laughs> anyway. What does it look like? Come um, on. I you know you what it looks like. What does a demon look like? I guess you could say with horns. Yes. And what color are they? Red. Red. What, you know. Uh, we have this picture of a, a 
a scary animal-like beast with horns who's red with a tail and claws, and it's something horrifying. Uh, you know, and we start with this picture when we're watching Warner Brother cartoons and Tweety uh, finally defeats Sylvester and sends him to hell where a little red devil with little horns and a pitchfork is poking Sylvester in the butt. I mean, with this, this idea of a devil in control of an underworld that's beneath the surface has been ingrained in pop culture from the beginning and we have it is continually reinforced and all of that is invented it's all based on Dante's Inferno which is a classical yeah. book and he drew on all kinds of European non-Christian concepts of afterlife and kind of stuffed it all together in a really creative way everybody thought it was cool and we've been ripping them off ever since yeah. what is hell really Yes. And a place Lake of passion. fire. River of fire? Depending on the interpretation. You know, uh, there's, there's not a whole lot of definition on it. We don't really know the architecture, if you will, of the afterlife. Okay? We know that there's a place of torment. We know that there's a place with God. And God, in, when we die, we, 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 we leave here and we immediately step into the presence of God. So we're stepping over that dimensional plane, Gospel of Kevin, and, uh, and, and you're stepping into God's presence. But there are mansions, but what is a mansion? It kind of depends on your interpretation there too. I don't think that tells us much. You will have a place in heaven. That's nice. Yes. So, so define what does mansion mean? And I think our human concept of heaven, may be, we may be limited by the sheer fact that we're people. We may not be able to envision this. And I think that Christ, in telling this parable, if he had tried to give us an accurate and detailed picture of what the afterlife looks like, it would completely miss its point. We, we could he dumbed it down for us and so he tells this story and the story is not about telling us what the afterlife is going to be like that's not the point the point is to pound it into the Pharisees heads who are listening to him that their idea their very Greek idea that rich people are good because they're rich and poor people are sinners because they're poor is false they have a huge sense of security because daddy gave them a bunch of money and that must mean they're perfectly good and they're perfectly righteous in God's sight because God's blessed them with all this money and therefore they have justification to be horrible horrible people does that apply to the government taxation theft? I'm just, I'm not, I'm just messing with you. Yes. <laughs> sure it does. I'm just I don't know why I'm staring at you, Andrew. You know, I, I'll stare at Kim. I guess I just have a beautiful face. Yeah, that must be it. <laughs> uh, so, so Christ is preaching to these people that are snobs because he is ministering to poor people who they see as sinners. And why would you reach out to sinners? They're sinners. 
you should be serving the righteous people who are the rich people in charge, you know? And, and he's not fitting the status quo. He's, he's, he, he's ministering to the poor. And there's a whole lot more poor than there are rich, as there always have been. And that makes them a little nervous. It's a challenge to their power. You know, they're losing their authority because all these rich people are feeling righteous. When did that happen? They need to go back to feeling <coughs> like nothing and keep, keep paying that tithe. You know, keep, keep that temple going and try to redeem themselves. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's all about cash, ain't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, that's where this story comes from. So, going into verse 19, and I am reading this, Andrew. Verse 19, chapter 16. There is a rich man who is dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Uh, King James interprets that bosom. It, it's, it's a tricky interpretation from the Greek. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, King James calls that Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And that's the point, by the way. That's the key to the whole thing. He is pointing out that these roles are reversed and you need to get your head around the fact that in the real world, these roles are reversed. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, And I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent and he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophet, they will not be convinced if anyone rises from the dead. And then we're off to another parable. He didn't. So, um, Abraham's bosom? I want to say something. Hit me. Um, but let's see, before Christ's death and resurrection, the Old Testament saints couldn't go directly to heaven because the price of sin hasn't been paid. So there was two compartments. And there was one for the righteous dead, known as Abraham's bosom, and there's one for the wicked dead. Yeah, ever heard that? There's like two compartments. There's Abraham's bosom they can go to, and then there's a compartment for the wicked dead. I've heard this, and, and I disagree with the theology. 
because that's the because that's what I've always heard. And right now, as far as I'm concerned, there's no one in Abraham's bosom because anyone who died after Christ's death and resurrection who's a believer in Christ goes straight to heaven to be with the Lord. But there's a time when there's a place called Abraham's bosom. What can what really really no matter what your thoughts about where it is there what the, the, there what there is in the bible a separate place for was what was for the righteous old testament believers there was a separate place they went to from the wicked dead and i uh People might argue about where it is, but there was a place called Abraham's bosom, which is not heaven itself. Because when you look at it, it's talking about there's a distance between the the place of suffering, the paper, place of weeping and ashing teeth from the wicked dead, and then there's a a space of separation between that and Abraham's bosom, and they can look at each other, but they can't, you know, interact. And that's just how close those two places were at the time. Right. Yeah, those two places. Yeah, because. I did really think there was a place before Christ's death called Abram's bosom where the believing dead went before the atonement, but yeah, that's my personal belief. There are a couple of Old Testament references, but I don't think they coincide to this. I really, you know, that that phrase is used, but it it doesn't mean the same thing. As far as I can tell, it's just I. It's just nothing but a parable or allegory. We have to. details about the afterlife yes very little and we have developed entire books on the theology of it though based on assumptions from what the bible says and so it just comes down to faith is well we're a christian we be with christ if we don't there's eternal punishment and we can't we don't know the details behind that necessarily Right. Because that's not the point. That's not the point. Right. And I don't know that we could, like I said, I'm not convinced that we could get our, there's a reason that God isn't giving us the details, because I'm not convinced that we could get our head around it anyway. Although, I will always, always try. (laughs) The road is in a journey, man. I guess so. I admit that there may be something beyond my conception. But I'm going to spend, I'm going to get there if I can. Okay. So much time debating when there is no detail. Can you imagine if God had given us email? Oh, that'd be fun. <laughs> oh, there'd be a lot of books and careers made there, wouldn't there? Well, your mind. Well, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so we have a hard enough time getting through life every day with what we do have. You know. Uh, there are a lot of what ifs. I mean, that's that's only the edge. If you try to go and build this architecture, like I was talking about before everyone left the room, uh, then uh, it, it, you have all of these little little inconsistencies. Because Christ is doing what Christ always does; he flips their own traditions on. Yes. 
So. Right, and and we're also using concepts that really aren't Hebrew, and they aren't Scripture. Uh, Hades is the the Greek concept of the afterlife, and in the Greeks' concept, they had a good place that you went to. It was sort of good. It wasn't great. It was called Elysian Fields, and it was a place of forgetfulness. So a soul went there, and he wasn't being tortured. But he forgot who he was until he just sat around like a vegetable, and then you disappear. So he basically became an person. Yes, mm-hmm. that's what they saw as as the the best possible end to it all. Uh, and the worst was that you went to a hot hole in the ground that was separated from everyone else, and you basically are trapped in a pit. You're not on fire. You're just trapped in a pit forever. There's also this. Now he is speaking. He's speaking to a a people a group of people that are dominated by Romans, and Roman culture is based largely on Greek culture, and they basically have the same concepts of the afterlife. They just stuck their own names on them as they ripped them off of other people, uh, and so you know this is going to respond. The people are going to respond to this idea. And so he's tossing out, he's kind of, and they understand that that's not what the afterlife looks like. But, and what is Abraham's bosom? Abraham is the father of the Jewish people. He obviously went to heaven. He is in God's presence. Wherever Abraham is, it's a good place. And so this, 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 this uh, sinner, this this sore covered sinner went to Abraham's side he went to Abraham sinners don't go to Abraham that's what all the Pharisees are thinking to themselves we go to Abraham and then he says oh wait the rich people wearing purple who are royal you know they he goes to Hades where it's uncomfortable no that's what it what he, that's the reaction that he wants from his audience. It's not about trying to figure out how heaven He's works. To jerk the rug out from under them yes. Their money somehow makes them better. Yes. And that's the whole point. Uh, and then, so in his story, he's got Lazarus. No, he's got the rich man whom he doesn't name, uh, looking for some kind of relief, and naturally. He says, oh, Father Abraham, since I'm one of your people, could you have that little slave boy there that's sitting next to you send some water down because I'm rather parched? That's how I interpret this. Sounds like John Yeah, well, I did just watch the movie. So, uh, you know, he's still kind of being the elitist rich guy. He's asking another rich guy to order the poor guy to come bring him something to drink. And, and, and Abram says, oh, no, no, no. You're over there now, and we can't cross this chasm. And that's when the rich guy goes, oh, my, this is not good. You know, And he says, well, if that's the case, if I am literally damned, then go tell my brothers to not screw this up because we had this all wrong. And that's again is the message that Christ is giving the Pharisees. And what is Abraham's response? 
it, it, it wouldn't help. Like he said, don't they got the law? Yeah, the they've got the law, the problem, they've got the Torah in the one of the original, you know, they, they, they've got all, they, they know this. They know how they're supposed to behave. But, but the rich guy goes, oh, no, wait, no, no. You, you don't, don't say it's up to the church. Nobody listens in church. Oh, my goodness, no. Uh, what you need to do is scare them. Could you please send a dead guy? Could you send a ghost? Could you resurrect someone so that they know that this is coming directly from you, Abraham, sir? I need to get this message across to my brothers. This is important. And what does Abraham say? Saying like, hey, if they're not convinced by the laws and the prophets and all that, why would they be convinced by a resurrected person? Which brings up that interesting question. Were they convinced by a resurrection? No, those people that saw Jesus, well, I saw people, Jesus resurrected, girl, Lazarus, that boy. Jesus was resurrected. Did, did that convince them? No. And so, and so there's a lot of argument among theologians as to what it's, which resurrection he was pointing to. Because interesting enough, it's a parable. It's, it's established parable, but it's the only parable where he actually used a proper name for one of his characters. It was Lazarus. And then we have this other Lazarus who couldn't possibly be the same fella who Jesus resurrected. Huh. Did that happen before or after? What an interesting question. And the referring back to an event that had happened to kind of like bar him? Or was it what an interesting question, and it's unanswerable. We don't know when this parable was preached. Uh, it's impossible. Well, we can put most of the actions in the gospel in a chronology, but as far as the number of minutes in between each one of those events, we can't lock down. And a number of things we can't even put an order to. This is one of those things. The only thing we can be sure Yes. Because Lazarus was probably also a common answer. Like me telling, hey, let me tell a story, a joke here. Uh, and there's a guy named Kevin, and he goes, <laughs> or there's, oh, and is there a significance to you using the word Lazarus even? I don't know, is there? I don't know. I, I didn't dig into that. That's an interesting what question. What's the meaning of the word Lazarus? So I look it up. <sighs> what's the meaning for Lazarus? But I mean, I mean like, like Lazarus is a common word. There's, there were other people named Jesus mm -hmm. at this time. I mean, I, I, they maybe have been significant, but not. It's, a, it's an argument from silence because we don't know. It's okay that we don't know. True. Because the point of the parable is what you said. In the Gospel of Kevin, I'm going to have to write that someday. Um, I, I don't think he's talking about the, the Lazarus's resurrection. I don't think he's talking about all the other resurrections. I think he's talking about his own. And I think it's foreshadowing to Christ's resurrection. And he's basically saying, you've had all the scriptures, Mr. Pharisee. Your entire life, you are studied. You have degrees in the scriptures. And you still don't get this. And you and live like a selfish person. And you worship money more than you worship Jehovah. I did all these miracles right in front of your face. Right. 
And he's basically, you know, if you see me rise from the dead, they're still not going to embrace it because they have already embraced their own selfish uh, needs. And so uh, it's, you know, seeing the big miracle doesn't convince people. Seeing miracles convinces people. Yeah. Man's heart is still evil. I know. Just like you can't legislate holiness. Yeah, true. I think the Holy Spirit it's, it's, has a work in there too. But the point is, if someone, I mean, a person can still disbelieve even when they see a miracle. And when they see a miracle, you know, there's some people who might write it off as it's not from God. Or some people might write it off as or don't want to accept it by faith or don't want to believe it and don't want to see it because if they did, they have to accept there is a God they're going to be held accountable to. I mean, if you see a miracle, you got to accept that there is a God. You, but that was, was that you need to believe in Jesus, that he, he's in charge of your life, and you'll give account to him. There's I, a lot of stuff. You I think it goes deeper than that. You know? Because Jesus even complained. I this. I feel like I'm I... Because even Jesus, man's heart is evil in its originality. We will find a way to rebel. Politics is, we, politics is never going to fix anything. Quote, unquote, the church system is not going to fix anything. Oral Roberts himself talked about, man, I had people come to my things and see miracles, and a lot of them still backslid, went somewhere else, whatever. He said... Just because they came to my healing service, got healed, many of them still moved away from the Lord because their heart is always going back towards evil. Even, even in the, if we're talking about charismatic gifts, people, how many people go to the church where the charismatic end thing is slain in the spirit, all that stuff, because that's happening here, but then another church down the road gets a new thing and they go to that church. They're, they're signs followers, which Christ had a lot of bad things to say about them. Because he said the people, there were people following him to see the fish and the loaves thing, which was a miracle, mm-hmm. but the central focus was on the miracle, not on Christ. Right. And so when he, he has a big gathering, and said, hey, you going to do the fish and bread thing again? He goes, no. Yeah. They left. Yeah. Because the eyes are not on Christ. The eyes are on the gifts. Because when you change, when, shake up the gifts in a church and you'll lose the people who are just following the gifts. Because remember the next great, the next great thing was the laughing revival. The what? You were too young. Where is that now? Nowhere. People follow the miraculous gifts, not Christ. That is the problem. holier than now if you can listen to it it's good but um but uh she was saying that uh, uh before people before someone comes a christian they are walking well, see they're a walking dead person that let's see they aren't alive they have no i mean they don't want god they don't love god they don't want anything to do with god so naturally miracles would be like <laughs> so uh and that is so the holy spirit comes and he, the light dawns, 
and a person is able to choose to believe in Jesus because a person without the Holy Spirit cannot choose to believe in Jesus because they are a walking, I can't explain, they're a walking dead person, really. And that's the way I explained it because they don't want, you know, uh, uh, see, Father Hearts of Hearts, I love their sin. They hate God. They, they don't say it, but they don't want anything to do with God. They love their sin. And it takes the Holy Spirit to come in and get, you know, and put the light on in their heads because their mind and heart's dark and put the light on in their heads and they're able to choose to believe in Jesus if they choose to. But the same thing with, you know, so, so, so really, also it says in the Bible, that to the natural man, the things of God are foolishness. The natural man, those people who aren't saved, who don't got the Holy Spirit, to the natural man, the, the stuff like miracles, what's in the Bible, to a natural man, this is just a book. This is foolishness. You're telling me this, this book is the word of God, and, that, you know, they are, you know, there's a passion talks about, you know, stuff like miracles and the word of God and things of God are complete foolishness to the natural man. They don't understand it. They don't want it. They don't want to receive it. It, it takes the Holy Spirit to, I guess, it takes the Holy Spirit to give you the desire for it, to give you, to help you understand it. Because if, if, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't want to desire this. I wouldn't understand it. It would be complete foolishness to me. I wouldn't want to seek Christ. I I, will, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want miracles because I want to understand. It. I think it's foolishness. But thankfully, because the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does, because the Holy Spirit makes us spiritually alive, able to connect to God, able to receive from God, desire things of God. You know, help us understand the Bible, help us with spiritual things. So yes, people with the Holy Spirit will naturally want miracles because they want Christ. They want miracles. They want the touch of God. But you know what I'm saying. The unbelievers are like sign chasers who don't, you know. <coughs> it's Kevin's turn. Kevin's turn. Kevin's turn. With all due respect for the evil of man and the guidance of the spirit, and I agree with all of that, I think the answer might be even simpler. We're cynics. <coughs> My my wife had, my wife has accused me of being the most uh, cynical, uh, uh, questionable. I, I don't trust anybody, and I think everybody is out to get me. And mostly, it's because they are. Uh, yes. And, 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 you know, I, I was a graphic design teacher, and uh, I love special effects in, in movies. And uh, my job was to figure out how to fake a miracle. That's basically all we do in grad. You know, I was making movies with little spaceships flying down and stuff. And then I'd see some kind of internet film where they filmed this, this spaceship coming down over this. And, 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 uh, over, and I would go, yeah, right. Because I could, you know, show you the program that was used to produce that. I don't believe anything. I don't trust anybody. Everybody that talks to me is trying to sell me something and separate me from my cash. And I, you know, it's going to take a lot for even to you to even, for me to begin to trust you. And, and some preacher comes in and starts showing me miracles. I'm rolling my eyes. 
I've been to Benny Hinn concerts with all of those empty uh, wheelchairs that they roll up to the front, but the empty wheelchairs were there before anybody came into the auditorium. Before they came into the auditorium. You know, they didn't say anybody got out of all of those empty wheelchairs. They travel with a truck full of empty wheelchairs. This is, this is a show. It's a show. I don't trust this. Now, yeah, I, okay, I'm ranting. Did I turn that over? I'm sorry. I don't know that I am unique, and I think that the people that, that, that Christ was preaching to were constantly being sold to, and I think there are false prophets who wanted their money. There were working, legitimous priests who wanted their money. It's, it's you know, uh, wow. Is a miracle going to convince you? I don't think they came to see the miracle. They came because they wanted free fish and bread. They didn't believe it came from a miracle. Do you think they doubted the miracle? Yes. Yes. Okay, maybe not all of them, but all of the Kevins out there did. Or at the end of the day, they didn't care. They were hungry and they got the food. We got two extremes. You got people who don't believe anything, and then you got a Christian who believes every Tom, Dick, and Harry and every miracle and everything. Yeah, but they're weird, and you know they're weird, and we all think they're weird. I'm balanced. Are you? Of course you are. <laughs> Naturally. Naturally. Something that's also going on right now that I think is can be thrown into this bag of tricks is all the prophets that are out there now. It is so <laughs> trendy to be a prophet. And, you know, I have relatives who sit and listen to prophets on the radio or on the internet. And you know who you are. Sayeth Clayton Yick. Bible. Okay. I'm going to the Bible. Bible. Oh, okay. I, I, Bible, he says. I told him, I told him many times that they do a false prophet. And there, there's a great, and I will not mention his name because I know there's a lot of people in this church that really think highly of a preacher that died several years ago. Before he died, he predicted the worst depression in the history of mankind, even worse than the one in 1929. It did not happen, and people still call him a prophet. Yeah. And, and I, I feel really bad about it because that is, according to the Bible, a false when it says thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, it has nothing to do with cussing. It has to do with that. It has to say you will not use my name to say something that I did not tell you. That's how serious God takes it. And I don't think, I'm sorry, the Pentecostal charismatic churches do not take that seriously enough. Everybody can say whatever they want, and if it doesn't come true, oh, big deal. No, it is a big deal in God's eyes. Like God doesn't want to make a complaint for your stupidity. Thank you. That's a good way to do it. Huh. One, one guy was saying out to me that I listened to. He said, 
when you hear a preacher say, God told me, oh. get out the leader church. <laughs> well, I'm, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I mean, I pastored three churches. Yes, I pastored three <laughs> churches. I've never, you, I never said God said. Right. If, if, now, if, I, if the Holy Spirit so blankly said something, I might say, but I do not throw that term out. That is that is a serious serious. God said this is good, you know unless it's sitting. The Bible says it, but I'm just something. I'm like God said, so and so is going to be president. Good Lord, we are dealing with serious spiritual ramifications from that. We yeah. need to take that much more seriously. And I think I'm a member of a Pentecostal charismatic organization. I do not. I think we play that as a joke. Yeah. And I I get I get disgusted when I hear preachers. Or non-preachers, some non-preachers call themselves prophets too. Say, "Thus saith the Lord," so easily, and uh, it's just it—it it is part of the Ten Commandments. It's number well, thirty. Or something. What it what it breeds is lazy Christianity. Yeah. Because if I can trust you to tell me what God's trying to say, then I don't have to pray, right? And I don't have to read God's word, and I don't have to develop my. Own and you're putting your hope in a man. And all of that puts this layer of distrust because you have all these little, little tiny false prophets, just a little, 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 little twists off of it. And, and as a result, it creates this cynicism. And I think that's what's happening here. He said to them, if you do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead, because why would you trust that? You know, and, and I understand the cynicism of the brothers of the rich man, which is what Christ is saying. He says people aren't going to embrace it, even though there's a there's a miracle, and you need to uh, accept the fact that just because you're rich doesn't mean that you're good, and if you're poor, it doesn't mean you're sinful. It means you're rich or you're poor. Okay, and that is the end of my lesson. And Judy is waving her hand. So we have time to say something. Yeah, yeah, you got, you've got a couple minutes. I was just going to say that I listened to a church in North Carolina, and I, I love listening to this church. They have good preaching. They have phenomenal singing, phenomenal worship services. But the thing that bothers me about this church, and it's not Assembly of God, but it is a Pentecostal, it is a church that is Pentecostal of nature. Um, is that they'll have messages in tongues and sometimes as many as six and seven in a service and the preacher interprets it every time and every time every time at the end of interpretation it's thus saith God and then there's another another thing of tongues thus saith God and I it gives me the chills and I really can't listen to it because I feel like he's placing himself in the form of God somehow. Like whatever he says is well, yeah, because that's what Paul says. That was we come against the Corinthian. Corinthian church was a charismatic church out of control, and in fact, he had to say, "You guys are nuts. I'm limiting you guys to three messages and interpretations. If it goes beyond go. that, it's not God." Wow. There you go. He did say that, did he, he not? Did say he said that. he had to limit their charismatic stuff. Hmm. He said, "There's no preaching going on." Yeah. He says, you guys are speaking in tongues all the time. The people are coming off the street thinking you're nuts. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the interpretation of Corinthians. You're nuts in this charismatic stuff. And he was charismatic. Yeah. And he said, only three. And he said, because he was coming against the super apostles. Yeah. Because they called themselves super apostles. Wow. 
They literally call themselves the cool. Paul's and Apostles. <laughs> We're the super apostles. Yeah. We can stop the weather. We can do this. We yeah. can do all that. And Paul says, I'm putting a limit on this stuff because you guys aren't even, there's no one's getting the word preached to them. Mm -hmm. And so he says, Three, three messages, you got to stop at that. And uh, I, like, I just want to say, I wouldn't trust that church because I can't trust the only one that can interpret that pastor. I mean, God doesn't just pick one person in the church to interpret every single message like that. It's, it's, it's a place of authority that makes me uncomfortable. It just makes me uncomfortable. And I think there's, uh, I'm thinking back to, you know, when we, we decided to go plant a church out in Willow Park. Um, God spoke to Faith about it, and God spoke to me about it, but he spoke to us separately mm -hmm. about it, and then it became a confirmation in a conversation together. That's so much more yes. powerful when God he does confirms it, something he confirms and as this group rant rages on, I am signing off of the internet, and we are going to continue arguing as we go. Goodbye, all those people that weren't here today.